If you have your Bible, will you turn to Matthew, the sixth chapter, as we continue the series that Dr. Reed has been leading us in, How to Live According to Jesus. This morning we are going to look at a sermon called Making Wise Investments. Making Wise Investments. So if you'll take your Bible and turn to Matthew, the sixth chapter, we'll begin at verse 19. Before we begin, let me tell you that Uh, A little over a year ago, Laura and I uh, started building a home, and we have been, or I should say two years ago, we've been living in that house. Next month, we will have been living there for a year. And before we were living in that house, and as we were building that house, we were living in a rent house. And while we were living in that rent house, uh, fairly close to Bancourt South, um, it did not have a enclosed garage on it. It uh, had a little carport, and it wasn't even big enough for us to park our cars there, but it had a driveway that just kind of ran up to the house, and that's where we parked our cars every night. And every night we would park our cars there, and we would lock our cars and go to bed. And the, the, the place that we parked our cars was literally right outside our bedroom window. If, if uh, the car alarm was to go off or anything was to make any kind of noise around our car, I think I would have woken up, except for the fact that we had a window unit in our bedroom, and I'd turn that window unit on. And those of you who are old enough and have enjoyed window units enough know there's no sleeping like sleeping with a window unit in your bedroom. Uh, it's just amazing, the rumble and the, the cool air and how it just puts you to sleep like a baby. And I guess we'd been living there about six or nine months, and uh, uh, it took about that long to build our house, about nine to ten months. And so somewhere in the seventh to eighth month, it was about this time a year ago, I walked out to go get into my car, and as I opened the door, I remembered that I did not click my alarm clicker to get into the door. I just opened the door, and as soon as I opened the door, I realized that I had not liked my car, and I looked, and I have a truck that has a center console, and I looked, and I have some keys in a, in a little plastic um, holder that sit on top of that console, and I, and I always stack a bunch of napkins there because I'm a messy eater in my car. And I looked, and all those keys and all those napkins were dumped on the passenger seat, and I immediately knew what had happened. You see, I gotten my concealed handgun license probably about five years ago, about six years ago, and I purchased a little handgun that I kept in my center console. And so I immediately looked in my center console and the handgun was gone. I went inside and told Laura, I said, somebody's been in my truck and my pistol is gone. And we called the police and they came and he said, uh, what was taken? And I said, well, I had a pistol in my truck, a little 380, and, and they've taken my pistol. And he said, you should never leave your pistol in your truck. You should always take it inside with you every night. And I said, you know, that's wonderful advice for the day after something has happened. <laughs> uh, and I will certainly do that from now on. And he laughed at me and said, yeah, you always know better after something like this happens. And I said, yeah, I certainly do. And I said, it's the only night that I can think of that I did not lock my car. Well, he began to explain to me that the street that we live on, that people, a lot of people walk up and down that street. And he said, 
they are always having things taken out of people's cars there because people walk by and they'll just see cars and they'll go up and test handles. And he said, if the door's locked, they just keep moving. But if the handle works, they start to rummage through and see what they can find. You may not know exactly where we live close to Bancor South and you may not know that Laura's office is just a two block, a couple of blocks from where we lived when we were in that rent house. It made it very convenient for Laura for that, those nine months we were there. Uh, she could just walk to her office uh, almost every morning and, and go do what she needed to do. Um, it was about three months ago, uh, Laura has a carport too without a garage door, that Laura parked her car and her office manager parked her car right next to Laura's in that carport. And her office manager had collected money from her roommates to pay the rent. And she had close to $1,000 in her car. And sometime during the, the day, uh, somebody walked up to her car, and she had not locked it that morning. Opened the door, grabbed that $1,000 out, and left with it. We now have security cameras installed at Laura's office. Because that's the kind of world we live in today. It's very sad, but it's very true. And you understand it, and we've all understood it one way or another. another. Most of you have probably, if not all of you, have had something of value that has been taken from you. Something that you cared for very much, whether it was money or possessions or, or children or homes or loved ones. I would dare say almost all of you have lost something very special to you. When you come to Matthew, the sixth chapter, the 19th verse, it says this, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now let's look at a couple of things as we study just these very few verses. The word treasure here actually can be understood and defined as anything left over beyond subsistence. For instance, your treasure is just about anything and everything that you have. Um, if you have more than just a modest, very, very modest home, in fact, if, if you live in more than a hut, you have a treasure. Most of you will go home today to pantries that are stocked, to refrigerators that are, that are full. And most of us would probably say, well, that's what I need to live on. But the truth is, what you have is your treasure. When you go in this evening or this afternoon, I challenge you to walk by your pantry and look in your pantry and say, look at the treasure that I have. I challenge you to open your refrigerator and stare at it for a moment and realize the treasure that you have. I was talking to a young man who's just gotten back from Africa. He plays in the worship band in the second service. His name is Blake Waller. I was talking to him yesterday at a wedding that we both attended. And I, we were talking about uh, the, the hardship of coming back from Africa. 
And I, I asked him this question. I said, Blake, have you been into a Walmart yet? And he said, yes. He said, I went the other day. He said, it was overwhelming. And I relayed to him my experience the first time I ever walked into a Walmart after returning from my very first trip to Africa. I walked in, I got dazed for a few moments, and I turned around and walked back out. And you may think that's funny, you may think that's so kind of dramatic, but I'm telling you, that's how I felt. There's nothing wrong with a Walmart. There's nothing wrong with being able to drive there and buy the things we need. That's a wonderful privilege. It's a wonderful grace, opportunity, uh, thrilling opportunity that we have been given because of the great country we live in. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. But you've probably never looked at Walmart like a treasure. In fact, most of the time I talk about Walmart, it's not in treasureful terms. You probably don't like going there just about as much as I don't like going there. But the truth is, when you walk into Walmart, it's a treasure. It's what other people don't have. Most other people don't have. The one thing out of many things that I remember that Africa taught me, especially as it applies to what I'm trying to share with you this morning, is I never, ever, ever, ever had experienced what it was like to see people who get up every morning to go get water so that they will live, to go get food so that they will live on a daily basis. And I'm not talking about getting up and getting in their car and driving down somewhere to grab some water or getting up and getting on the horse and, and riding somewhere to go through a drive through or something like that. You know what I'm talking about. You understand completely that I'm talking about that somebody gets up every morning and puts a bucket on their head and walks down to a well and gets water out of that well that that family will live on for that day or goes down to the farm and, and gets hold of the crops that they have raised personally and, and picks the crops so that they will be able to eat and exist that day. That's what a treasure is. It's anything left over beyond subsistence. And you and I have to begin to channel our understanding to what it means when it says, do not store up for yourself treasures on this earth. Begin to understand that it means just about everything that we own or everything that we have ability to grab that's your treasure and that's my treasure. Let's look at a few things as it relates to these three verses. First of all, Jesus tells us very emphatically that there will never be a secure treasure on earth. Just like my car was broken into and just like Laura's uh, secretary's car was broken into and just like my house when I was in seminary was broken into, uh, when I was a young man, just 23 years old, 24 years old in seminary, I came, I, I flew actually to Houston uh, for the Thanksgiving holidays and turned around and flew back. When I came back, my house had bro been broken into. Uh, it was a very awkward, strange, scary time for me. It's the first time that I can ever recall in my life that something like that had ever happened. And I walked in, uh, my front door was wide open. And I had a screen door, and I pulled the screen door open, saw the front door wide open, and I walked in and realized what had happened. I turned around and walked back out, 
and called a friend and called the police and the police came and my friend came and we walked through the house and the policeman began to look at everything and he was talking to me and he, he made the report and he finally said, well, tell me what you see missing. And I started looking around and I realized that nothing was missing. And the policeman started laughing and I said, why are you laughing? And he said, well, you really don't have anything worth taking. And <laughs> I realized that he had never spoke more truer words in his life. <laughs> he started laughing, I started laughing and he said, man, they picked the wrong house. <laughs> and I said, I said, yeah, but I'm still scared. And he said, well, he said, I don't think they'll be back. <laughs> I said, yeah, you're probably right. It was my first lesson to begin to understand in my life that there really is nothing secure here on this earth. We don't have anything that's secure. The scripture says, do not lay or store up for yourself treasures on earth. Uh, your your uh, version may say, do not lay up for yourself treasures that are here on earth. The exact Greek words that are used there for layup and treasures are almost exactly the same. Uh, one is thesaurizo, and it's spelled T E, uh, excuse me, T H E S A U R I Z O. And the other for treasures is thesauros, and you see them both up there on your screen. You can see that they're very similar. Uh, you obviously can catch the understanding that thesaurus is where this word comes from, treasures, and what we call a thesaurus. And it's the understanding that a thesaurus is a treasure of words. And that's why it's called a thesaurus. Right here, what's actually being said to you and to me would read literally something like this. Do not treasure treasures on the earth. That's basically what it's saying to you is do not treasure your treasures here on the earth. It, it's the idea of stacking up. I, I brought these plates so that you and I could kind of see it because these are a stack of plates. And, and the idea is that you get treasures in your, life, in your life and you just begin to stack them up. You say, well, I've, you know, I, I've got a good salary and, and God's given me a good job, so I'm going to get a good car. And you get the good car. And then you say, well, now I've got a good salary and I've got a good car, so I'm going to get a good house. And then you say, well, you know, I've got a good, good car and I've got a good salary and I've got a good house. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a retirement account. And I've got all those things going, so I, I'm going to get a vacation home. I've always wanted a vacation home. That would be great. And then you just begin to stack up treasure after treasure after treasure. Now, I have to be real careful here. And I, I want to make sure that you understand exactly what I'm saying because as you read Scripture in context, especially 19 through 21, but as you continue, and Dr. Reed and I will continue to, to work through these Scriptures, you'll begin to see that God uh, does not discount the fact that you deserve to have a home and that it's okay for you to have a home. And there's nothing wrong with you having a place to live. There's nothing wrong with you having... A, a car to drive. There's nothing wrong with you having a, a retirement account. I have all those things. Uh, you probably do too. Uh, scripture does not say uh, that you cannot have those things. What Scripture does say is, are those the things that you are treasuring in your life? 
And do those things mean more to you than anything else in the world? And as we walk through this scripture, you're going to see that Christ comes across with a very imperative statement to you and to me about what we should do with what we have been given. Let's look at a few things. If we understand that there will never be a secure treasure on earth, we need to understand a few things that Christ is trying to teach us. One is this, that treasures are not for yourself. Treasures are not for yourself. You don't need to go there, but in Luke 12, 16 through 21, if you want to read that this afternoon, most of you are probably very familiar with the parable here. It's the parable of what most of the time in Scripture is called the rich fool. It's, it's a parable about the farmer who has been overwhelmed with how good his crop season has been. And he's getting so many crops that are coming in and his crops are doing so well that he says, I need to build bigger barns and more barns so I can store up more and more and more. And Christ turns to him and says, what a fool you are. You've been given more and more and more. And because you've been given more and more and more, you have chosen to hoard it. But I'm telling you, your life is going to go. Christ tells the rich fool that he will die. And he will die soon. And then he says, what will happen then to everything that you have been storing in? And that's what Christ is trying to teach you and me here today, that treasures are not for ourselves. I don't know any of you who haven't been given over and in abundance, me included. I have a very nice home and a very nice car and a very nice bank account. It may pale in comparison to yours or it may overwhelm yours. Really makes no difference at all because I can tell you that you have been given in abundance. So have I. And so is everyone that's sitting in this room. And the problem for most of us is that we think we have been given all that so that we can store it up and we can keep it and we can look at everyone else and we can say, well, you know, they've been given a lot and I've been given a lot, but God has given me what I've been given and my job is to keep it, to hold on to it, make secure and what Christ tells us in Scripture is you can never make your treasure secure. I have wonderful insurance on my house. I have great insurance on my cars. I have wonderful kinds of protections at Laura's office now with camera systems and everything. But I'm telling you, it could all go in an instant. A fire could start. Somebody could come in and take everything. It really doesn't matter what kind of security you have or what kind of protection you have because Scripture says that it's only for a moment and it's not really yours to begin with. It's always been His and will always be His. And the key is, do you look at that treasure as something that's yours to protect to make sure that nobody else touches it? Or do you look at that treasure as something that you've been given that you can give away? Second thing is this, treasures are temporary. Treasures are temporary. The other day I was watching a, a TV show about automobiles and it was an auction. And, and they rolled across a 71 Malibu fastback. 
71 Fastback Malibu. Now, that may mean something to you. It means a whole lot to me because it was the exact car that I had when I started college. I mean, exactly looked the same, except for the color. Mine was canary yellow. It was cool back then, trust me. Uh, it was canary yellow with a black vinyl top. This one was kind of a, 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 a kind of a beige and had green vinyl interior. And I was looking at it and I was amazed at how cool that car looked. Ashley was sitting next to me and I was just talking and she said, what are you so excited about? And I said, because that's the exact car I had when I started college. And she said, that's the ugliest car I've ever seen. <laughs> and I said, well, it may be ugly to you, but it's very special to me. And they sold it for $30,000. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. I thought, gosh, if I just held on to that car. <laughs> of course, if I'd have held on to it, it would have had about a half a million miles on it right now and probably wouldn't have driven but Ashley asked me the same thing. She said, why didn't you hold on to it? And I said, well, because I got married and I started having children and all those other things that come into our lives. And I said, besides that, I said, my life had to go on. That was a temporary thing for me. It wasn't something that I could hold on to forever. That's what you and I need to understand your treasures are temporary. It doesn't matter how much money you save. It doesn't matter how big your house is. It doesn't matter how many antiques you have in your house or anything else. I can promise you they're temporary. They may get passed on from generation to generation to generation, but they are still temporary. And they're always going to end up eaten by moth, stolen by thieves, or eventually one day turn into rubble. That's what scripture says. You don't have to believe me. That's what Christ said. Christ said that the moths and the rust are going to destroy it. The thieves are going to break in and steal it. And what he was trying to tell you and me is that treasures are very temporary. Every earthly treasure is transient. Every earthly treasure you own is transient. Um, the other day when David... Uh, took our group and flew to Germany. They flew KLM Airlines. And when they flew KLM, they flew from Houston to Amsterdam, and they were in Amsterdam for just ab about two hours. And then they jumped on a plane and went from Amsterdam to Cologne, Germany. Now, while they were in the Amsterdam airport, they were called transient passengers. Anytime you are going from one place to another, and you're only there for a short time, they don't make you jump through all the bells and the hoops and the whistles because they realize that you are what's called a transient passenger. You're going to be there for a moment, but then you're going somewhere else. It's exactly what Christ is trying to tell you and me about our treasures. He's trying to tell us that you're in a transient position. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have staked your claim 
and, and sold your soul to Jesus Christ with the understanding that He is the great forgiver of sins in your life, that He is the God who has given you grace and mercy, that He's the God who died for you on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven, then you have bought into the premise that you are just temporary here on this earth. And as a transient person here on this earth, how foolish is it for us to think it's all about what we are doing here on this earth as far as what we can gain and what we can keep and what we can hold on to. What this is supposed to teach you and me is that the most important thing that we can be about while we're here on this earth is telling other people about the wonderful news of Jesus Christ. And whatever we can do to make that happen, whatever we need to sell, whatever we need to give, however we need to live, that's what we are to be about because that's what our treasure needs to be. You, ne you may need that car. I know I need a car. I know you probably need a car. But does that car help you tell other people about Jesus Christ? You need a place to live. I don't begrudge you that, and neither does Jesus Christ. I need a place to live. But does that place you live help you tell other people about Jesus Christ? Does your job help you tell other people about Jesus Christ? Where you eat today, will that help you tell other people about Jesus Christ? It can. It should. There's no reason it shouldn't. It's all depending on what you and I do with the treasure that we've been given. The second thing is this. There's never a secure treasure on earth, but you can secure your treasure in heaven. That's what I've been talking about. You can secure your treasure in heaven. In fact, the, 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 the emphasis that Jesus is saying here when he says in verse 20, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven is an imperative. What he's saying right there is, do it now. He's not saying, you know, when you retire, when you get all comfortable and everything's kind of taken care of and you're not worried about your bills and you're not worried about your finances and you're not worried about your job, you're not worried about your friends, when you get all that taken care of, then store up for yourself some treasures in heaven. You, you notice he didn't put an age on this. He didn't say, when you turn 30 and get married and have your first couple of children, then you need to start working on storing up treasures in heaven. Now, the, the imperative is here, when you choose to follow Christ, then you choose to store up treasures in heaven. That's it. I mean, the moment you became a believer, in, in my life, it was at six years old. In your life, it may have been 7, 8, 12, 15, 20, 30. But when you made that choice in your life, then you chose to begin to store up treasures in heaven. Or at least that's what you should have chosen. The question has to become for you and me is, if you haven't chosen it, will you choose it today? Jesus says to begin it right now. Uh, in Luke 12, 33 through 34, he, he kind of rewords these same scriptures. And as he's rewording these same scriptures, he's saying, uh, go sell everything and give it to the poor because where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. 
Now again, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to give you some kind of absolution here, but I, I think what Jesus was saying there is not that we should all walk out, go sell everything we have, give it to the poor, and, and then be poor also. But what Jesus is saying in context, when you bring it into context with all the other scriptures, is you and I have a treasure. And that treasure is not to hoard, it's not to stack up, it's not just to make sure that we're all okay and we all have these wonderful toys. But that treasure is for us to take care of other people and to bring them to the saving understanding of what it means to Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of things that are going on in our life right now that we need to be involved in. The key is that Jesus says to begin now. Our son Evan just married last weekend and started a new job a couple of months ago. He brought some paperwork home the other day for me to look at it. It's his savings plan uh, for his, his job that he works at. They offer a, a 401k savings kind of a deal. And he was asking me what I thought about it and, and, and what kind of input should he be doing. And I sat down with him and I had a conversation that I was thrilled to have with him. I was honored that he would ask me what I thought. And I, this is the exact words I, I told him. I said, Evan, you need to start putting money into it and you need to start right now. Don't wait till you're 30. Don't wait till you've kind of cleared some hurdles in your marriage. Don't wait until you have your first child. Don't wait until any of those things happen. You start right now preparing so that one day when you are at that point, you will have money saved up to live in retirement on. So that you won't be dependent on the government. You won't be dependent on anybody else. You will be dependent on yourself. And with that money, you can live for the kingdom. That's what Laura and I are trying to do. I told him that. I said, Mom and I have been saving money for a long time. And one of the reasons that we've been saving money is because I really believe... Number one, that we need to be responsible for ourselves. Nobody else needs to be responsible, hopefully, for taking care of me. I certainly don't want Evan or Ashley to have to be responsible for taking care of me when I get older. I don't want the government to have to be responsible for me when I get older. But I do want to do this with my money. I want to save enough that I can do some things for the kingdom. I don't want it to be my treasure that I can sit back on and, and just count. I want it to be my treasure that I can do things with that will change the kingdom. Well, that's what Christ is saying to us now. He's saying in verse 20, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. That's what Jesus tells us. Not only are we to begin now, but he's saying, I, I can promise you this. If those are your treasures, I've got them. They're secure. I'm going to take care of them and you do not have to worry about them. Isn't that unbelievable? Isn't it incredible to know that you can begin to invest in things that you don't have to worry about their return? Uh, I, I know some of you have to be like me. You watch the stock market every once in a while. You watch your retirement plan. You're worried about different things. I understand that. I completely understand that. But I'm telling you, if you choose to invest in heaven, if you choose to invest in the kingdom, you don't ever have to get out the paper and look at what's happening with it. 
You don't ever have to get on your computer and see if it's gone up this month or gone down this month. You'll never have to worry about it again because when we begin to invest in, in heavenly things, their security is locked in. Well, the final thing is this. Jesus tells us in verse 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there is your heart also. I wrote it down like this. You can always tell a person's treasure. All you have to do is a heart check. All you have to do is a heart check. And it's not the heart check where you put a stethoscope on and you listen to somebody's heart to see how it's beating. All you have to do is look at a person's life and what their heart is. Do you remember when Jesus encountered the young man and he said, go and take everything you have and give it away and come and follow me? And it says that the man turned around and walked away sad because he knew that he could not do it. Jesus did a heart check on him. And he didn't pass the heart check. Jesus is always, always, always concerned with the location of your heart. You know, I, I can't answer that for you. I can make some assumptions, but it's not really fair for me and it's not really fair to you for me to make assumptions. Only you can honestly know where your heart stands today. If your heart's more interested in the possessions that you have, if your heart's more interested in the things that you're accumulating, if your heart's more in, interested in where your wallet is than where your mind is, only you can answer that. Nobody can answer that for you. He, here's what I would encourage you to do today. Today, I would encourage you to be honest with God. Today, I would encourage you to be honest with Him and say, where is my heart, God? What's the most important things in my life? I don't think you'll be wrong necessarily if you say, well, I love my family. I don't think God would look at you uh, with scowl if you say, well, I love my family and I love my job. I love my wife. I love my children. I love the fact that I, I make a good salary and that I'm secure. I don't, I don't think God would look at any of that with a scowl. But here's what I think He will do. I think He will turn around and He will say this to you. He will say, well, do you love your family more than you love me? Do you love your wife more than you love me? Do you love your wallet more than you love me? And if the answer is yes, I think he would want to say to you and to me, can we begin to work on that? Can we begin to turn your treasure from that to me? And if we put our treasure in Jesus Christ, then I think he begins to see our hearts.
and that our hearts are moving in the right direction. And I think he begins to honor that in our lives. Every once in a while, I catch myself watching a show called The Antiques Roadshow. Uh, it's, it's just interesting to me because they take things that people have brought in and they place a value on them. It's older stuff. And usually it's pretty interesting to see, you know, somebody brings in something and they say, well, did you know this was worth $2,000 or $3,000? And the person kind of goes, oh my, had no idea. It was, that's amazing. That's wonderful. One day I was watching the show and um, there was an older gentleman, probably in his late 50s, early 60s, like me, older. He brought in a blanket. And the man sat down and began to talk with him about that blanket. And he said, do you know what you have here? And he said, well, I, I think I do. He said, I, I, I know it's an Indian blanket. And he said, yes, that's correct. And he said, uh, where did you get it from? And he said, well, my parents had this blanket stored in their attic and they've recently passed away. And he said, I got it. So I decided to bring it down here to see what you thought about it. He said, well, this is an amazing find. He said, this is a Navajo Indian blanket. And he said, it's as rare as rare can be. He says, I'm telling you honestly, this does not need to be in your possession. It doesn't need to be in my possession. You don't need to, to give it to anybody else. He said, we need to make sure this gets into the Smithsonian Museum. And he said, what? And he said, yes. And he said, I think the Smithsonian will pay for it too. And he said, well, what do you think it's worth? And he said, well, in my best estimate, it's worth between a million and a million and a half. Well, you can imagine stunned. But in the midst of stunned, tears began to come down his face. And the man who was describing the blanket said, I guess you're happy. And he said, no. He said, oh, don't get me wrong. He said, that's amazing that this blanket would be worth a million and a half. But he said, I'm really kind of sad. He said, my parents lived in squalor, in poverty, all their lives, not understanding the treasure that was up in their attic, wrapped up. And he said, they went to their graves as paupers. We barely had enough money to pay for their funerals. And yet, all that time, they had a million and a half dollars sitting in their attic. The famous medical missionary, David Livingstone, rumor has it that he went to Africa. You know that. He certainly went to Africa and loved it there and did medical missions there. But the rumor is that when he was buried, they brought his body back to England and buried his body there. But that the African people who loved him so took his heart out and buried it at the base of a tree in a village that he had given most of his life to. And they said to the family of David Livingstone, you can have his body, but his heart will always be 
in Africa. My question to you this morning is where is your heart? Because where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Let's pray. Father, we need you to do a heart exam on all of us. Father, we need to know where we stand with you. And Father, we don't want our treasure to be anywhere else but within your grasp. Father, may you remake us and remold us and place our heart in the right place so that where our heart is, that's where our treasure will be. Father, will you help us to store things up in heaven and not here on this earth? Father, we love you and we thank you for all the things that you've constantly and consistently done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. Andre's going to come up and he's going to lead us in a hymn of invitation. It's turn your eyes upon Jesus. I would just encourage you in a couple of ways. Number one is this. If you have a decision that you need to make this morning, you're more than welcome to make that decision right where you stand. Maybe you want to talk to the Lord about your heart. You can do that right where you are. Maybe you just want to share with him about how you've had a change in perspective of where you want your treasure to be. That's perfectly fine to do that right where you stand. Maybe you want to come to this altar. Maybe this altar is a place where you would like to bow before the Lord in symbolism of what you're doing with your life and what's going on with your life. Maybe you want to join our church. Maybe this is where you want to place your life. Maybe this is where you want some of your treasure to be, is in this church doing things for the kingdom. If you want to do that, all you have to do is come down front, visit with me, and let me introduce you to the congregation, and you can place your life in the life of this church. Maybe you've never become a believer in Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't know how to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Nothing would give me greater pleasure than to explain to you how you can do that. If you'll come to the front, I'll tell you how you can become a believer in Jesus Christ. No matter what decision you need to make this morning, I hope that God would give you the courage and the, and the believability to be able to do it right now without waiting as we stand together and as we sing.